Well, I made an executive decision this afternoon, and that is that we are going to uh, finish up what we uh, started uh, this morning. Those of you that were not here uh, for various and sundry reasons, I don't know all of them, but uh, I, uh, I only completed one of my three points in this morning's lesson. So we're going to go ahead and, uh, and finish that up. Now, the good news about that is, is that point number one was the longest. So we may get out early. Who knows? That going to bother anybody? It's not going to bother me because I can smell the food that's being cooked back there for the devotional. And it's making me really, you know, hungry. And I hear, not that I know, but I've heard from others that, you know, maybe there's a football game on this evening. I I don't know anything about sports and stuff like that. But we were talking about that uh, passage. We started off, and there are some people that weren't here this morning, so we kind of need to review just a tad. Uh, we won't do the whole thing, or you know, we won't get to point two and three. Uh, but we were looking at, or we started off at that passage in Romans 7, where Paul says, you know, that that I want to do, I don't do, and that that I don't want to do, I do, and the very thing. And he goes on, and, and we talked about, at least in my life, I, I totally get that. You know, when I read it, it's very confusing, and sometimes I don't even understand Paul's grammar and, and what's going on there. But in my mind, I totally understand it. Because there have been times and hard times in my life when I say I'm not going to do certain things. I'm going to act this way and not do this. And I do those very same things. Or I, you know, vow in my heart and decide that I'm going to do this or that for the Lord. And then it doesn't happen. And we looked at Peter as one of those people. Different times in his life. And we were focusing in this morning on that situation in the courtyard. After Peter had been with Jesus in the upper room and Jesus had foretold the fact that Peter was going to deny him three times before the rooster crowed. And Peter said, that'll never happen. I will die for you. I will not let any harm come to you. I will give my life for you. And we can ask ourselves, well, was Peter sincere in that statement absolutely he was in fact he proved it just a little while later in the garden when Judas and the soldiers come to arrest Jesus Peter gets up and he draws his sword and he cuts off the servant's ear and he is ready to defend Jesus with everything he has and if he has to die he's going to die and then Jesus is arrested and take it off to the high priest's house. And Peter is kind of left alone. And I'm going to read again what we read this morning. Beginning in Luke chapter 22 verse 54. Then seizing him. They led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. And Peter followed at a distance. But when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard. And sat down together. Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight and she looked closely at him and said, this man was with him, but he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone saw him and said, you also are one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. And about an hour later, another asserted, certainly this fellow was with him for he's a Galilean. 
Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. And then Peter remembered the word of the Lord, that the word of the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you'll disown me three times. And he went outside and he wept bitterly. So we kind of asked the question this morning, what happened between the garden and the courtyard? I mean, it's as if they are two totally different people, right? In the garden, Peter is swinging swords and ready to give his life. And in the courtyard, he's brought to the knee, to his knees by a little servant girl and some others who kind of question. I was just noticing, you know, that's interesting where it says that they were in the, gar- in the courtyard and they were warming themselves by the fire and the girl stared at him. Have you ever been in that situation where somebody just staring at you? Makes you feel a little uncomfortable? Peter obviously began to feel uncomfortable. And then she makes the accusation. So, was it a lack of commitment on Peter's part that made the change between the garden and the courtyard? Was it a lack of sincerity on Peter's part between the garden and the courtyard? I don't think so. I think if you'd have asked Peter... In the courtyard, somebody other than somebody that was not on his side. If Jesus had said, Peter, are you with me? I think Peter would have said, yes, I'm with you. I think that's what Peter would have done. But that wasn't the situation. It says in that verse 54 is the important part that we were honing in on. Peter followed at a distance. And so this morning, go ahead, Jamie, we looked at some of the things that create distance between us and God. And we talked about sin and disobedience and how Isaiah chapter 59 says that our sins and our iniquities separate us from God. And how that in the very beginning at creation or right after creation, that that sin separated Adam and Eve from God. That at first it was themselves, Adam and Eve, that separated themselves from God. Because they knew what they had done. They were hiding when God came into the garden. But then because of their sin, God separated them from him because of their sin. And then we talked about the fact that uh, neglect can separate us from God. It may not be some overt sin. It may not be that we're out living some wild, wicked life. It may just be that we neglect our relationship with God. And we talked this morning about any relationship takes cultivating and takes some time. And our relationship with God is the same way or there'll be distance. And then we talked about fear. And I think that was Peter's problem was fear. And you think about the very first little setting with the little servant girl. And you think, what did Peter have to be afraid of? I mean, really, what did Peter have to be afraid of? And a lot of times I think in our lives, we get afraid of things. We become fearful of things that just really don't matter. What others think about us. I know we, we talk about young people and, and how important that is, image to them. And, you know, we're no different. We're no different as adults. Don't let anybody tell you that. You know, what people think about us matters. Even when it shouldn't. 
You know, we shouldn't worry about what others think. It could be fear of persecution. Maybe not so much in our country, but certainly in other parts of the world where Chuck's been. Certainly persecution, physical persecution is a very real thing. And we may not face that quite yet in our country, but we certainly are facing more and more verbal and social persecution than in days past. And it's coming. It's here. And if we're not careful, fear of that will keep us from remaining close to God and create distance. And then we talked about a feeling of unworthiness. That's kind of where we where we ended up. And I looked up and saw that it was already time to quit this morning. And Peter felt that way, I'm sure, after this little episode. And we talked later about the episode with Jesus and Peter when when uh, Jesus fixes breakfast for the disciples and they come back and Jesus asked Peter three times, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, three times in a different way. But, you know, we're not we didn't go into all of that. And each time Jesus said, feed my sheep or tend to my lambs or, you know, take care of the flock or whatever it is. And what I said this morning was what's interesting to me. And this is one of those things. Studied it all my life, studied that story all my life, preached on that story several times, I'm sure, in the last 32 years. But it never really occurred to me till this week that Jesus never said to Peter, I love you. He asked Peter three times, do you love me? But he never said to Peter, I love you. But what he did say is, Peter, I've got work for you to do. Peter, you're important to me. Peter, I'm going to use you. And I really think is what Peter needed more than even hearing Jesus say, I love you. Because he could tell that Jesus meant it. How many of you kids, you know, you do something to your brother or sister and your parents say, tell them you're sorry. I'm sorry. And you're not. Everybody knows you're not. Mom and dad know you're not. Your brother or sister know you're not. You certainly know that you're not. And I think that if Jesus had just said, Peter, I love you, and then gone on his way. I'm not sure Peter would have gotten it. Not sure Peter would have really understood it. But when Jesus said, I want you to feed my sheep. I want you to tend to the flock. Don't you imagine that made Peter feel so good after what had happened in the courtyard? And so we looked at those things that cause or creates distance. And so I want to move on now to what are the effects of that distance? What happens when there is distance between us and God? And the first thing that happens is that we lose direction in life. We lose perspective. We begin to wander. Several years ago, I went to a youth minister's workshop. I know some of you think I never went to a youth minister's workshop. But I went to a youth minister's workshop in Nashville, Tennessee. And this is before there were GPSs, before there was, you know, cell phones with maps on them, uh, before there, you know, was any of that kind of stuff. And the conference was being held at the Marriott Hotel in downtown Nashville, Tennessee. I didn't have a map, but I knew how to get to Nashville. You know, you get on I-40, you go east, and eventually you get to Nashville. And so I'm driving along, and I'm on the interstate, and lo and behold, is this great big building downtown. It says Marriott on it. 
I'm like, how cool is that? I can get to the Marriott. So I get off on an exit. Well, there were 14 million one-way streets. There were, you know, another 45 construction zones or whatever. And I'm getting all turned around. And before you know it, I look around and I can't find the Marriott. It's nowhere in my vision. I've gotten so far away from it that I can't even see it anymore. I've lost my direction. And when we, when that distance is created between us and God, our priorities, what's important in life, all of a sudden becomes a little obscure. All of a sudden it comes out of focus. And all of a sudden we're moving in another direction. One of my favorite movies which is every movie I ever talk about, is The Hunt for Red October. I love that movie. I don't know why. That's one of those. Every time it comes on, I'm going to watch it. Even if it's back-to-back nights, I'm going to watch it two nights in a row. Uh, but yeah, if you know anything about that movie, it's about this submarine and a Russian submarine captain is defecting with his submarine. And so some Americans get on that submarine. and, and But the Russians are trying to sink the Russian submarine because they know that he's defecting. Okay, you got the gist of it? If you read the book, it's about that thick. So I did you a favor. All right? You don't have to read the book. But there's this, there's this point where the bad Russian submarine... Fires a torpedo on the good Russian submarine, if there's such a thing. But you get my point. And so the torpedo is coming towards the submarine is going to sink it. Well, the second in command of the American submarine. The first in command is on the Russian submarine. But okay. So the second in command realizes what's happening. And so he turns his submarine into the path between the torpedo and the good Russian submarine. And he goes on. And so the torpedo that was headed for the bad, the good Russian submarine turns and starts heading for the American submarine. You, you with me? But the, where was I going with that? What was my point? Losing direction, losing focus. That's what it was. That's what it was. Yeah. That's what it was. The torpedo lost its direction and got focused on something else that was not its target. The farther we get from God, the easier it's going to be for other things to distract us in our life. A story about a Russian submarine. Uh, and we aren't concerned with the things that we ought to be concerned with. That's why the writer of Hebrews said in Hebrews chapter 12, fix our eyes on Jesus. The author and perfecter of our faith. If we keep focused on Jesus. If we keep closing that gap. Then we're not going to have to worry about all these other things distracting us. And we can keep focused on what God wants us to keep focused on. Second effect of distance from God. Is that we lose the power to fight Satan. You know that's kind of a metaphor what happened with Peter. Isn't it? When Peter was with Jesus in the upper room, he said, I'll fight to the death. When Peter was with Jesus in the garden, he pulled out his sword and started swinging. But when he followed at his distance and he was by himself, none of the other apostles around him, Jesus wasn't around him. 
He lost the power, in a sense, to fight that temptation. And he denied Jesus. You know, there's another story in Peter's life that echoes that. And that's him walking on the water. And you know, you know, most of the time when I've preached on Peter walking on the water, I try to focus on the positive. You know, the fact that Peter walked on the water. But there is that part of the story. Where Peter begins to look at the waves and everything that's going on. And then he takes his eyes off Jesus and he begins to sink. And he begins to not be able to do what he'd been doing when he was focused on Jesus. You know, Satan is brilliant. We talked about that this morning. That verse in 1 Peter 5, you know, talks about how that uh, be self-controlled and alert because your adversary, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. We were talking about that in the teenage class Wednesday night. And, and I went on, you know, Googled, you know, ferocious lion or whatever. Lion feeding. Because what I wanted was, you know, that big, fierce lion with the teeth hanging out and all that. But I wanted it with all the blood on it. You know, after it had just been eating, you know, I wanted to make a point. You know what? I couldn't find that picture. Oh, I could find the ferocious lion. But all the pictures where the lion had the blood on him, he looked so happy and satisfied. He wasn't ferocious at all. He'd gotten what he wanted, you know? It's just like you just walk over and pet him. All that blood dripping down, he's like, oh, that was good. And that's what Satan is trying to do to us. He's looking out there to attack us and eat us up. And, you know, every now and then I'll watch something educational. I'll watch, you know, Geographic Channel or, you know, Animal Channel or, you know, something like that. And especially if it's about the lions going on the hunt. I I like that. And you've seen them before. You know how they do that. There's the herd of wildebeest or the herd of antelope or whatever. And they generally do not attack the whole herd at once. They generally wait to see if one is lagging behind. One's a little sick or maybe a little hurt or stops to graze while the rest of the you know, herd is moving on. And if they can isolate that one animal, then they got it. And that's exactly what Satan tries to do with us. This distance between us and God isn't an accident. Who put the distance between God and Adam and Eve? Satan. Who is trying to put a wedge between us and God? Satan. Because he knows, in general, you know, think about it. Let's just think about it. Let's just suppose that we somehow in some really weird alternative world where we could be together as Christians 24 hours a day. Always together. It would be tough for Satan to get to us. But that's not the way it is. We've got to go out there in the world. And sometimes we find ourselves all by ourselves. And that's why it's so important that even though we're not in the safety of our members here, we are still close to God. And we are still fighting off Satan.
So when that distance appears, it can help us or it can help us to lose the power to fight Satan. Thirdly, it provides a weaker fellowship with other Christians. You know, we've talked about that situation where, you know, our Christian life, our Christian family life is kind of like a, a pyramid. You know, God's at the top and you and I are the other corners. And as we get closer to God, what happens? We get closer to each other, right? It's not rocket science, okay? We get closer to each other. Well, you know what? The opposite's just as true. If we get further away from God, if we begin to distance ourselves from God, then there's going to be distance from one another. And we're going to lose that fellowship. We're going to lose that protection that we have in our numbers. And so we want to make sure that we don't create that distance. Fourthly, it creates conflict within ourselves. Just like Paul wrote about in Romans chapter 7. Just like the conflict that you could see immediately after Jesus looked at Peter. He went out and wept. When we have distance between God, because we can be getting further away from God, but still have our, a sense of desire and our sense of morality and knowing what's right and we get further away from God and it hurts our conscience and it bothers us and we're all torn up inside. But the problem is if we keep getting further away from God, eventually that's not going to matter. We're not going to notice that. We're not going to feel that. And so we want to be able to uh, not have that conflict within ourselves. And then fifthly, it may, we may lead others astray. You are being watched as a Christian. If you profess to be a Christian, if people know that you're a Christian, if people know you claim to be a Christian, they are watching you. Now, you may think they don't. You may think, ah, nobody's paying any attention to me. Oh, yes, they are. It's like I, tell, I like to tell the, the young people, you know, when they get up into, into junior high or whatever. And I tell them, you know, those little third and fourth graders, they're looking at you. They're watching you. Just like you used to watch those high school kids when they were in junior high and you were in third and fourth grade or whatever. They're watching you. And if we separate ourselves from God, We're going to lose our ability to be a witness to the people around us and to share the gospel message. Parents, parents, if you create distance between you and God, you're going to take your children with you. You're going to take them with you. That's why you have such a responsibility, an important responsibility to make sure that you are close to God and then bring them along with you. So we talked about, you know, what creates distance and we talked about the effects of distance. And so I want to look at for just a few minutes, how do we close the distance? How do we close the distance between us and God? Well, first of all, it has to be by desire and repentance. You will not draw close to God by accident. 
It's not just going to happen. Okay? Like we talked about this morning with your old high school friends, you know, and you were going to stay close and connected forever and ever. No, you're not. Not unless you intentionally do things to keep that relationship going. If not, you're just going to drift apart. And the same is true with God. We have to have that desire to be close to him. That desire to close the distance. That's why I love those verses, the song that we sing. As the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs after you. Not the deer that's a little thirsty. But the deer that is dying of thirst and is panting for that water. That's the desire that we need to have in order to keep our distance close with God. And we've got to understand the sin that is in our lives and that it does separate us from God. And we have to be willing to repent and we have to be willing to say, I'm not going to do those things anymore. I'm going to give it my best. I'm going to stay away from certain situations. You know, that's kind of what happened with Peter, right? He was in the wrong place at the wrong time. You know, he, he, he wasn't with the people that were going to encourage him. He was with those people that didn't believe in Jesus. He was with those people that had arrest him, arrested him. He was with those people that were against him. And we can sit back in our self-righteous selves and say, well, Peter just should have been stronger. Peter just should have been able to stand up to him. Yeah, how many times in your life, how many times in my life have I found myself in a situation I probably shouldn't have been in to begin with and not muster up the courage to do what was right? And so a desire and repentance close the distance. Secondly, worship. Our worship together. That's why I think God told us to come together as a church family and to worship him. You know, we, we, we talked about this before. I am, I am firmly convinced that our worship is more for us than it is for God. That's why he created worship. He didn't create worship because he needs it. He created our worship time together because we need it. We need to recognize him as almighty God and king and and all of that. Yes, that is true. But we need to encourage one another. That's why those verses in Ephesians and Colossians that that talk about singing. Not one time does it talk about singing praises to God. It says that we speak to one another. We sing to each other. Are we praising God? Of course we are. It's not like Paul just didn't think about that. But he wanted those people in Colossae and Ephesus to understand that it was important for them. The singing and the worship that we have together. That's why the writer of Hebrews said, don't forsake the assembling. Don't keep from going to church. Why? So you can check it off the list and say, okay, God, I went to church like you told me to. No, so that you can encourage each other all day as the day approaches. Thirdly, prayer. In Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 16, the writer said, let us approach the throne of grace with confidence. 
confidence. Prayer is our opportunity to speak to God. Our opportunity to pour our hearts out to him. Our opportunity to share with him all the emotions that we're going through. Good and bad. Positive and negative. We've been over this as we studied, you know, the Psalms. How many of the Psalms have some negative tone to it? David was angry. David was confused. David was disappointed in God. David was all these different things and he expressed that to God. And God allowed him to. Job. God allows Job 30-something chapters to vent. You know? But we don't lose our hope. We don't lose our faith and trust in God. But prayer gives us the opportunity to share with him the things that we need. What an amazing thought that through prayer we enter into the very presence of God. We approach his throne boldly. King James says, with confidence, the NIV says. Fourthly, we close the distance through our fellowship. We kind of touched on that already, so we may not spend a lot of time. But our fellowship together is important. That's why I always like in, in uh, Acts chapter, chapter 2, at the end of it, you know, it talks about, and, they, and the, you know, 3,000 souls were baptized, and they you know, were steadfast in the uh, apostles' doctrine, and in teaching, and in fellowship, or in, in the breaking of bread, and, all, and the fellowship. That article is there in the original language. Not just fellowship. The fellowship. Well, that kind of tells me it's a little more important maybe than what we kind of... We kind of think that ah, fellowship's, a, you know, an extra. It's the cherry on top of the Sunday. No. God understood and created the church so that we could fellowship and encourage one another. And it's going to be hard for me to separate myself from God. If I'm always around you and you're encouraging me. Because if I'm not here or I step out of line, I know what some of you are going to do. Hey, get back here. Quit doing that. I hope. I hope you will. And so the fellowship we have with each other keeps the distance close with God. And then, of course, study. Through the scriptures, God reveals himself to us. And that builds a stronger relationship. We ought to study the scriptures with an attitude of what is God trying to tell me? We shouldn't come to the scriptures to prove a point. We shouldn't come to the scriptures in order to, you know, share with somebody else. Well, you know, Joe, you need this scripture. I've been reading, studying. This is for you. And there may be... A point at some time for that. But I ought to be going to the scriptures. What is God saying to me? What does he want me to learn? How does he want me to act? How does he want me to behave? And the more I read about God. The more I understand about what God is revealing to me. The closer I am going to be. To him. And so we want to take all these steps. In order to close the distance. Between us and God. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 73, 28, it is good for me to be near God. Don't you like that? That's one of those, isn't that, that's one of those duh statements. 
It is good for me to be near God. Distance creates a problem, just like it did for Peter. We sing the song, nearer, still nearer, close to thy heart. We want to be close to God's heart. If you're here this evening and there's some way that we can help you, close that distance between you and God and be closer to him. We invite you to come now as we stand and as we sing. We hope by listening to this lesson, you have found a better understanding of the Bible. And through that better understanding, find a closer relationship with God and His Son, Jesus Christ, our living Savior. If you have any questions or desire more information, please feel free to contact us here at the Dangerfield, Texas Church of Christ. You can find us at dfield.org. That's D-F-I-E-L-D. C-O-C dot O-R-G. Or you can email at dfieldcoc779 at aol dot com. Or you can call us at 903-645-2896. If you are local to the Dangerfield area, we would love an opportunity to meet you and encourage you in person at 818 818- West W.M. Watson Boulevard, Dangerfield, Texas, 75638. Our meeting times are Sunday mornings at 9.30 a.m. for Bible class and 10.30 a.m. for worship service, Sunday evening at 6 p.m. for worship service, and Wednesday evening at 6.30 p.m. for our midweek Bible class. Grace and peace be with you always.